0: It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hello, I am Randy Andrews and today I'll be interviewing Carlos Rafael Rivera. He just recently composed music for the Netflix series Godless. I'll be asking him questions about his career and other things. I'll also share the main theme to Godless, among another suite created for A Walk Among the Tombstones. It's all today on Soundtrack Alley. Today, I'll be presenting the interview with Carlos Rafael Rivera. I hope you enjoy it. Hello, I'm Randy Andrews, and I'm here with Carlos Rafael Rivera. Carlos, it's nice to have you on my show.
1: Oh, it's a privilege to be here, man. This is so cool.
0: So, how did you begin composing, say, for film, concert, or even have you done anything for television?
1: This is my first time for television. Godless is the first project I've ever done. And boy, to get to do it to net for Netflix is like a dream come true because it's like you know one of the most eminent, preeminent uh, networks there are. Um, but getting started was, uh, I think, you know, I was got involved with music since a very young age, and I always loved it. It, it moved me, you know. And I took lessons, you know, piano lessons when I was six, and then stopped because I was living in Guatemala. We moved to, to Costa Rica, and then to Panama. And I was eleven, and I began to class take classical guitar and then i turned 13 and we moved to miami and uh randy rhodes i'm not sure if you know who he is but he's a guitarist for ozzy osbourne
2: mm-hmm. and
1: uh he was like the first guitarist that i came into like loving the fact that he played classical guitar and electric guitar in what was known as a classical you know rock style mm-hmm. and and that was like I heard a solo for Revelation of uh, Mother Earth. It was like the next to last track on Ozzy Osbourne's Dire of a Mad Mad album, album. And I heard that. And when I was done listening to that, I remember I was smiling from ear to ear. And I noticed I was smiling. Like, I wasn't aware I was smiling until after. You know what I mean? Like, the mm-hmm. I've been physically so moved by the, by the song. And, um, and I told myself, you know, the day I get to play that, I'll be a great musician. <laughs> you know, my mind, you know, 11-year-old. <laughs> mm-hmm. And 13, I mean. And then, like, a few years later, I was able to do it. I learned it. I was learning it note-for-note, and then I played it, and I I would make a recording of me playing, you know, just to compare, to see what it was, you know. And I nailed it, note-for-note. And then I realized at that moment that I hadn't written it. Like, I really didn't own it. Like, as much as they were my... I was able to play it, it wasn't something... And it was a weird feeling, because, you know, I never even thought of writing music as a thing that Mm -hmm. people did. You know, it was just like... You know, and and it started the idea of my curiosity as to how to do it. I started writing songs on the electric guitar. I got in a band with my brother, and you know, we started playing all over Miami. We started we were a cover band, and then we started doing original songs. My brother wrote mainly with, along with me and the singer we had as well. And uh, I just kind of kept going, and I just kept going into music. And by the time I got to college, I was going to study accounting, and I took a music appreciation class. And it changed my life. I heard The Ride of Spring by Igor Stravinsky, and I was like, okay, this is, I think I want to do this. And what was great is that the teacher, his name was Jay Brown, was uh, walking around the class showing the score. Mm-hmm. And he was showing, there's this really cool moment in The Ride of Spring where these, these, tr- these trombones go, like they do this little dip thing. And he was just showing it to us. And, and I was like, wow, that's just two notes. You know, it sounds so massive, and it's just like these two notes, you know. And i was like well human being did this you know and that really started getting me into that and i started studying at, at miami-dade and then i went to Florida international university then i went to usc to get my master's in composition by that time i was like officially all in you know mm-hmm. i think film music was something that was part of my childhood since a, a really early age I, I was a fan of film music but always believed that it would be something i would never be part of because i was in central america when i was getting turned on to it listening mm-hmm. to the scores of james horner for like star trek 2 the wrath of khan which still is an amazing score it is jerry goldsmith's right it's yeah. just so perfect man it's a, and 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 jerry goldsmith's a uh, great train robbery which is oh my god what mm-hmm. a great film to sean connery i don't know if you've seen it in a while or yeah i have not yeah i have seen it, it. that score is just like Kind of perfect. And so my brother would actually record the... Uh, before Betamax, you know, we would record the movie mm-hmm. and on cassette. And then we'd listen to it in the room. And so that's our video <laughs> player was a cassette <laughs> recording of the film. So there was a lot of audio going on. Mm-hmm. So I think that was probably had something to do. But, you know, obviously John Williams and E.T. moved me terribly. And I was just like, oh, my God. And I think as we got to... As I got to... Taking composition seriously, it was always in the back of my mind. You know, I've always been a fan of that stuff. And then I moved to LA to study at USC, and I, you know, I ended up getting signed to with a rock, you know, with a rock band that I was in. Uh, we got signed to Universal Records, and I went away and did that. I never finished my masters, and then when the rock band didn't work out, I came back and finished my masters, and. At that point, I started, thanks to a professor there called Don Crockett, you know, he's the one who kind of said, when I got signed, he was like, you know what, you're young ones, go do your record thing, and, you know, we're not going anywhere. And he really meant that, because three years later, after things had not panned out for us, he's like, did you ever consider finishing your degree? I was like, no, I didn't even think about it. And he's like, well, try applying and see if you can finish it. And I came back, and then I continued into my doctoral, and that's when I got paired up with Randy Newman as a mentor. Because um, uh, they were doing a mentorship program at USC, and because I had done the classical but also the rock and roll experience, you know, it felt like a good pairing because he's obviously done different worlds, you know. Mm-hmm. And I got paired up with him, I and was, I was expecting to do like maybe, you know, tops of 15 minute visit to his house where he'd be going, you know, you're a good half Cuban kid, good for you. I'm gonna go off and be Randy Newman, and it turned out to be like <laughs> two hours. And it was just like a blessing, man. It's just like the coolest experience. And, and and the first time I ran into people that were just tru- truly themselves, you know, like mm-hmm. he is 100% him. There's yeah. no face. Yeah. There's no insecurity. Well, you know what? If there is insecurity, he just is he just says it at that moment. He's not he's not you know wearing a, a cover for it. And and he started inviting me to sessions.
0: He seems pretty and genuine, course,
1: dude. He's he's just like my god man he's just a hundred you don't get more honest than him and and at least in my experience with him he's always been on straight up and you don't get that a lot in in people (laughs) you know what Mm -hmm. i mean um and so i started looking up to that a lot because you know before i met him i would have a temp job and i'd have that temp voice you know when you answer the phone you're like hello something something can help you you know, and and then if it was your friend who was calling, you're like, hey, buddy, what's up? Like your voice would change, and I was like, why is my voice changing, from depending on who I'm talking to? And he's the first person that made me aware of that sort of mm-hmm. thing. That you can just be who you are, you know, just like just be, and, and 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 so that was one of the great great gifts of of having him as a mentor. Also, in the sessions, I'd see how he'd work with a director and a producer that would give him notes mm-hmm. because. In my mind, no one gives Randy Newman notes, you know? No one tells him, you know, you, we don't like this. He's like, well, I, I like it, I'm Randy Newman, it's the music. You know? No, it's not like that. You're trying to tell a story, mm-hmm. and you're, you've been invited to tell the, help tell the director's story. And I saw him work with and collaborate with other people, as opposed to be an entity that people had to reckon with. And so that helped me tremendously as things moved on, you know, and as the opportunities came for that world. Well that's, that's... I, mean, I got to stop talking. Oh, oh my god. yeah, I can stop. Sorry.
0: <laughs> well, I really appreciate it because Randy Newman is you know really talented and I mean he's done anything from just doing movie scores but also he sang in movies. And yeah. I mean that's that's really cool too because I mean he, he does he did guitar work and singing in um, Jurassic Park 3. Did yep, he he did. I didn't even know they played guitar. He did a song in um. There was a scene in Jurassic Park three where they're in this bar, and um, it's something having to do with a man in a hat, and you can hear it, and it's just big
1: hat no cattle right. Yes, that's it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, I I know what you're talking about. I just didn't know (laughs) he played guitar. I thought he was just a piano to it. That maybe someone else played guitar
0: yeah maybe
1: maybe it did yeah yeah
0: but i heard the guitar in there and i was like oh that's cool so
1: well yeah and he's like one of the great songwriters of our time yeah there's not even a conversation about that (laughs) and and he's just anyways true inspiration man that's like that's Mm -hmm. the best way to put it yeah um but yeah go ahead
0: so my next question is um what like with being a guitarist what projects do you personally really try to go for or uh, do, say, either for the concert world or for other projects?
1: I think what comes to me through the concert world is around, centered around guitar because it's sort of what's fed me and what's, uh, what I've been part of. You know, I grew up in it, and I've been doing guitar stuff since the 90s, late 90s. And so I guess I'm mostly known in that world as a you know composer for guitar, and the opportunities have come around it, and I understand the instrument you know pretty well, so I think there's there's a facility that people tend to gravitate to uh, on that. So the opportunities in that world have always come through it's centered around guitar projects, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, but the film world, I honestly don't, I haven't had a the experience other than than sort of the education of of writing these scores uh, and with Scott and i've worked twice with him you know and mm-hmm. but it's more like i'm not even thinking of i think the western lends itself really well to the guitar you mm-hmm. know um and or let me rephrase that the guitar lends itself really well to the western you know mm-hmm. and um and in the previous film i did it was a noir film where a guitar was part of it but it really wasn't let's say you know it was more like uh you know, we had the Rhodes instrument. You know, we had a lot of keyboard-based mm-hmm. sounds and and strings, and it was more. There was a Bernard Hermanish kind of uh, ghost or ode that we try to keep, I think, in this sort of story storytelling mm-hmm. for for A Walk Among the Tombstones. Yeah, I wonder if that's guitar- what you were character- referring to. Yeah, and, and guitar and, and guitar was like there, but as a, as an instrument. But when I'm writing, I'm not really writing usually on the guitar. I'm really usually writing most of the cues for film are writing, written on keyboard, because I'm just playing with it uh, as I'm reacting to picture on MIDI. You know what I mean? I'm playing mm-hmm. on the piano and then I'm recording these notes. And then what I try to do is I try to do like what I call I call it like the hologram approach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'll do it on keyboard and then I'll figure out that melody on the guitar. And see how it fits and how it sounds in that instrument. And I'll I'll sing it too, and I'll record it on my phone, and then I'll drive around hearing all these um, really annoying voice messages um, to get get a sound, like you know, get a sense of what yeah of what is does this work? Does this hold outside of just the instrument it was written on? And you start thinking of idiomaticism, like does it does this translate well to uh, flute, or would it translate well to uh, strings? Or you know, and then that's when the orchestration comes. And at least when you start, I think the template, meaning what instruments you're going to write for, starts to come in pretty early. I think in the process, mm-hmm. but it really gets settled once a few cues have been approved. At least in my experience, you know. And then you start going, okay, well, this is sort of our okay. The heart and soul of this movie is you know, and we, we harp was was very much, and it was a Rhodes keyboard, um. We're, we're like the, the, the soul for a lot of uh, Walk Among the Tombstones and here I would say guitar and cello and organ even actually mm-hmm. you know, is, is pretty much the heart uh, and the soul of, of Godless and I wrote music that would be could be intimate and broad if it needed to because we do have these incredible incredible uh, the incredible cinematography of Steven Meisler you know incredible shots of, and panoram- panoramic views that you know where a guitar and cello just won't work you know yeah, so a lot of those cues were written on piano and never got to guitar until after you know they mm-hmm. were just you know, I, okay, I'll replace the piano with the guitar because it needs it, but it wasn't so it depends. I think a lot of the cues are written and or at least as far as a general thought of what a film score would be, uh, the music is really written around you know based on the need of the story. Mm-hmm. So you know how broad do we go, how small do we get? Do we need to be how intimate is this scene? Uh, what is a character thinking? Are we moving the character along, or are we moving this, you know, what, what are we trying to address, and whose point of view are we writing to? Or am I yeah. writing from the, from because the, there's so many characters in this movie. I call it a movie, I know it's for TV and stuff, but it's like a seven and a half hour film, to it me, is. to us, yeah. I think. Yeah, it really is. Yeah.
0: So, um, here's another question for you. What exactly is the Society of Composers and Lyricists, and what part did you do you play?
1: Oh, and the SEL, well man, I've you know, first of all, the SEL is one of the great organizations uh that, that have been around and I couldn't believe I got to be part of it. You know, for me it's one of those things where you know, you get to be part of something really special. You know, uh Society of Composers and Lyricists, the history of it is that it's been around for quite a while. Mm-hmm. The membership is like you can look it up and you'll see who who's a member. But to be a member, you know, you have to have a motion picture credit. You know, uh, for TV composers, you have to have one, at least one episode for TV on cable uh, or you know, uh, TV or you know, you have to have some sort of credit in order to be able to join it. Oh yeah. And what they do is they have these really cool events. And the best way I can put it, without getting into all the you know, you know, technical things of it, it's more like it's people that are. Sharing with each other what they're doing, and they're helping themselves along. You know, if you're a member of something like the SEL, you know, you get these discounts on certain stuff, on, on certain things, um, uh, gear, etc. Uh, you have access to all these incredible archive, this incredible archive of all these interviews they've done with other composers. Like a, there's a compo- there's an interview of Alan Silvestri in '98. Oh wow! Or, or I think around there when he did Contact, um, the movie. And he was talking about it, and um, interviews with Jerry Goldsmith, Bruce Broughton, where he's been part of. I mean, it's just so man, it's awesome. If you want to, you, you get you get to get go back in the history of of the organization. Uh, I don't think I'd be the best one prepared to tell you other than I am <laughs> lucky to be part of it.
0: Yeah, that I mean, that's an excellent explanation. Um, so, with Godless being the new Netflix series, and with the date of this recording uh yeah. godless came out today and so is this a different type of genre for you to use for composing
1: when you ask that what do you mean like uh well
0: i mean like uh do you have a preferred genre that you would go for no man i mean i don't
1: Here's, you know, I'll tell you a story that's really funny. I had this uh, opportunity to go to a major film like three years ago after A Walk Among the Toomstons had come out. And my agent, Amos Newman at WME, at William Morris Endeavor, had uh, set up a meeting with uh, someone big at one of the companies, like, uh, you know, one of them. And at, I, I got a meeting. And what a meeting is is where they get to meet you. You see your face. I don't know. And then you just see if you get along. And if opportunities come up for certain projects, and you're, they can probably recommend you maybe if they feel like they could or you'd be a right for it. But you know, at the end of the meeting, I was like, he goes, before you go, I'm going to read you some movie titles, right? And tell me what you think if you think you you could do it. Okay. <laughs> and a person who's done one movie before, you know, my, my entire IMDb page is like one credit before this. Yeah. Right and so I'm sitting there, and the guy starts reading a movie title, and he looks at me, and I go, yeah, yeah, I think I could do that. And then, <laughs> and then he read, he paused and go, okay, he read the next, another movie title, I don't know. And then he looks at me and I pause and I go,
2: yeah, yeah, I
1: think I could do that too, you know. <laughs> and, and I just went through seven titles where I said I could do it all. Because I think composers who are looking for opportunities are not going to say no yeah. to to anything. And I think in today's day and age, I think the best thing to be is facile, meaning that if you say yes, which everybody says yes take on a project, you do your research. Mm-hmm. And and I, I think to say, well, I wouldn't do this, I think could be very limiting
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, for opportunities. And when I got this one to do a Western, I, I mean, I loved the genre as a kid, but I started watching all of the iconic films, you know, Once Upon a Time in the West, yeah. you know, all the spaghetti Westerns, just Fistful of Dollars. Magnificent uh, I mean, Seven. Magnificent Seven, and then of course the 90s stuff like our Bruce Broughton score is uh, Tombstones, which is incredible. Yeah. Or uh, Silverado. And I mean, mm-hmm. just, you, I, I, I think I saw more Westerns than I could handle or remember <laughs> at this point. I Because yeah. this, I started on this project in November of 2015. Oh, wow. Which we're talking about two years. My God, it's two mm-hmm. years ago now. And to the day, about, just about, because Scott sent me his screenplay then. And I started writing immediately. And what's unorthodox about how I work with Scott is that I write to the screenplay. I don't write to the, um, to the, to the picture. In the sense that my initial reaction to the screenplay yields a lot of music that is potentially going to work for the film. Mm-hmm. And as time goes along, we start realizing, well, this isn't really working. The tone of it isn't, isn't right. Mm-hmm. And as the picture starts to get assembled... You start looking at it and you go well the music doesn't seem to fit anymore and the film and the story and the way it's been put together from the page to the screen has evolved and you have to adjust accordingly but we get to make a lot of mistakes early on because and that's a good thing because you're finding out what doesn't work mm-hmm. and in that you start finding the tone but what's cool and the coolest about this experience is that the theme of the show that is out um was written in january of 2016 it was written then and scott loved it man it was so cool because he reacted really like it's a great awesome email he sent me i still have it and and (laughs) um and i was expecting of course that well it's going to change this isn't going to be the theme it's not going to make it you know (laughs) because you you have to be very pragmatic and and definitely one of the things is that you can't be tied to anything you do you Mm -hmm. have to be ready to change because At the end of the day, it is a director's vision and or the director and producers and director, producer, and editor's vision. But you're helping tell the story. Mm -hmm. And and it's not my story. I get to help tell it. And so my contribution is going to, if it's going to truly elevate it, I have to be really, really willing to change gears 100% and go right, go left, change the instrumentation, redo cues. And that happens quite a bit, and it happened quite a bit in Godless. Even after we had our tongue, mm. there were certain scenes that we could not get right. And what's amazing about this is that no one has the words for it. You know, the director, as as and man, he has amazing taste in music. <laughs> That's how, that sounds horrible now. He has amazing taste in music, and he picked me. No, no, I don't mean it that way at all. <laughs> no, I mean it like... Uh, He, uh, you know, always like since I've known him, like his his sense of bands and the stuff he was like, check this out. I was like, you're old. You're like 10 years older. How do you how do you know this? You know what I mean? Like, you know, how do you know this band? And so he has a really good sense of how to explain himself. But when you're talking about the rhythm of a scene and the pacing of the scene and the music against it, it gets really hard to use words to say this isn't working and what I need is this. Mm-hmm. And my job is to do that. My job is to give him the words through music. Give him what he needs when he can't find words to explain why it's not working. And that's called the 17th revision or oh, whatever wow. it is. Yeah. We never yeah. had that many in this, but we did have quite a few. And, and I think it was more about helping... You know, again, I, I guess to, to bring it back to the ego thing, it, it really has nothing to do with you. You're really just, if you can be in the mindset of, I got to move, I got to make a left, I got to, you know what, this cue, as much as I thought it was perfect, he doesn't or she doesn't feel it is.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: get start away and try to see what they're trying to say. Try to interpret what they're saying into their vision and make them happy because the joy is. You know, that's why there's. It's such a collaborative process, man. It's so unique, mm-hmm. and it's so different from from the classical world where you're very much alone, and or working with one specific person, like the commissioner, let's say, to to work on the piece, and they could tell you what's working, what's not. But but a, writing for a director, writing music to help tell a story, is like, whew, it's so cool, man.
0: That's really good. Um, so here's an interesting question for you. If you had a dream job of composing for a major production, whether for film or television, past or present.
1: The next Star Wars (laughs) uh, trilogy, Ryan Johnson, andor the Avatar movies. Yeah. Period. Now. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but man, I think anybody would. Wow. Ryan Johnson's going to. The next. Okay, because I've seen Looper, I've seen Brick, Mm -hmm. and I think Ryan Johnson's ridiculously good. I haven't seen the Last Jedi. I don't know. Well, what's it's not happen. out yet. Yeah, I, I don't care. I think it's, <laughs> I'm sure it's going to be great. I have a yeah. feeling if if Disney's trusting him to do the next trilogy altogether, oh, it can't fantastic. be bad. Yeah, it can't be bad. Yeah, and and based on how I felt his approach, and he uses, I think his cousin Nathan uh, Johnson is mm-hmm. uh, who scored Looper, okay. um, was great and and how he used uh, found sounds basically the guns and the sound of the doors and the cars and the, all that stuff to make his own score was very oh, unique. Oh nice. And, um, but but I you should check out Nathan put some videos out and it's like just so cool and he also like has made videos for Alt J which I'm sorry not Alt J I'm so sorry Sunlux. Okay. And um, made some really cool videos. The guy's like ridiculously creative. Mm-hmm. But uh, you the dream job it's, I'm wearing a Star Wars hat right now, man. Nice. And, and so, I mean, <laughs> I'm, I got Star Wars stuff from Sideshow Collectibles. I bought the Sphero R2-D2. Nice. I've had a Millennium Falcon since... Got, I mean, it's to be a part of the storytelling that Star Wars does and that world and that universe would be a dream come true. So, it's a long answer. Sorry.
0: Oh, that's perfectly all right. Um, I, I have always been a Star Wars fan, and, like, I... I was born in 1977. My parents took me to Star Wars when I was a baby. So it's kind huh. of, you know, been kind of ingrained in my brain since then and I love it. It's it's just brilliant. Yeah. So, yeah. So, do you think it's easier to compose for a large orchestra or a small one?
1: I don't know. I think it depends on the music you're writing.
0: Okay. I because... I, don't, I don't
1: think like the number of instruments is an issue. Okay. If you know how to write for them, which I'm working on always, I don't think you know I, you know people like people that understand orchestration. You know are like uh, you know are much have a different approach probably and maybe I would have a different answer. But I'm not think, thinking ever of the instrumentation more than I'm thinking of the mm-hmm. notes. Oh, and yeah. the music, and and then the, the, once that starts to become very clear, then then it gets aided by the choice: do I go to horn? Do I go to trombone on mm-hmm. that note? Or uh, orchestration becomes an enabler to help tell the music that you want to share. But the melody and the craft of writing and counterpoint and that stuff is is what I worry about.
2: Mm-hmm. You know, usually
1: mm-hmm. uh, I don't think the sort the size matters in that way at all i don't i don't think it does i think uh it depends on the vision you have and i think it depends on the piece you're trying to write you know
0: yeah no i i I totally get that um so what are you currently working on
1: on a concerto guitar concerto nice um and um yeah and that's i'm actually in that i'm like about to start the third movement and um the first movement is pretty much done the second movement i need something but i'm not thinking of the orchestra at all it's like right now it's could <laughs> it's a good thing you asked because i've been struggling with some with some of this but but i i i think i think it's just about getting the notes right and then the orchestration will expand certain sections or and, you know t- change the tempo of what i have mm-hmm. as i'm writing it now um because the bigger the force the more space it fills the instruments fill Mm -hmm. and the time maybe there's a thing called orchestral time you know in in my in my mind you know in in the sense that like you have a sense of how it should move but if you start getting specific as to what you're writing for and the room you're going to be played in and the size of the venue then you start going okay well this can go slower because it needs more space to travel it's really weird man I, i don't i don't even know
0: you do, know, you, do you do work all these with? Things,
1: but then you throw it away. You know, you're, you're worried about yeah. all this stuff, and then you're just like trying to get the note, just getting trying to get it right.
0: <laughs> I get that. So, do you work with a orchestrator uh, a lot, or um, do you?
1: No, do not it for yourself? the classical. For the classical stuff. No, it's sort of on you. I mean, I get orchestrators, let's say, to produce parts. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've done that because basically once you have your score, I'll do the finale and I'll send the finale file to to someone to orchestrate, uh, meaning create parts. But it's sort of on the classical world. It's sort of on your own. And I think that's sort of how it's traditionally been. But in film, uh, you got a demo and the demos are fully fleshed out they're not usually just hey it's on piano but trust me it's going to sound great when we add the band you mm-hmm. know <laughs> so uh usually you're writing to the full orchestra and your demos and and the mock-ups and because you want to get approved they, they want to look at to the they're looking to picture and technology's changed so much that those days i think are pretty much gone mm-hmm. and so in order for producers and directors to be happy they need to see as fully fleshed out a demo as possible. So. In that case, I am doing most of the orchestration or the arrangement, and then and then we send it off to um, to to the team, you know, the orchestration team, which basically will grab the midi notes you've input or the sounds that we're intending them to be, and then translate and make parts for the orchestra. And it has to do a lot specifically because you don't have the time to do it all. You you really can't be a one person. It has to be there has to be a team in a production like this. Where there's a certain amount of music that has to be pushed out every day uh, to to meet the deadlines that they are that they have, it, it, it's really impossible to do it with one person alone. So, as far as the orchestration team, I got Jeremy Levy, who's worked with Tim Davies, and Tim Davies is an old friend and and you guys can, you can look him up after. He's just he's just a great one of the great musicians of our time. I really really respect him. And he's a funny guy, which goes a long way. And mm-hmm. he's just really, he's really, really, I, he's one of the great musicians I feel like I'm lucky to know. And so he, Tim did uh, a Walk Among the Tombstones uh, and w- uh, for me for when we were getting the orchestral stuff ready, and along with Jeremy. And this time Jeremy took over as, as Tim had things going on. It's just busy. And Jeremy and his team, uh, uh, I think it was Lorenzo Corona, Bobby Brader, and Sarah Lutz, that, that those that whole crew was was really popping stuff out parts for orchestra score and etc but based on the stuff i would send him that's like well here's the cello this is this and in some cases i'm going to need some padding on this cue because the director isn't quite happy yet Mm -hmm. and i just need more instruments on this and see what you can do it's such a weird thing in this world because you're just trying to get to a deadline and and what is essentially an ideal situation turns into a pragmatic situation you go okay i just gotta okay let's just skip this part i I, this could have been but you know you don't necessarily have enough time you know and uh in this score in this show it's about three and a half hours of music Mm -hmm. um out of the seven and a half hours it's just it's a lot of music yeah and i wrote about another additional hour that got thrown away Mm. um so over the year and a half, so it was a it's it's a lot of it's a lot of notes, man. And um, but without a team, it's, it's I still you know I really feel it's quite an impossible task. Well, that's, and by the way, and that's uh, good though. One thing I was able to get help. This is the first time, I also was in a and a walk among the tombstones. I was pretty much alone. I, I worked with my music editor Tom Kramer, who was just awesome, very experienced, and he helped me get through the finish line and help finish off some of the cues that we had and. And this time I brought in someone else that was recommended by Tim, his name is David Stahl. And he was uh he started filling out some of the cues. I started sending him a few cues and to I was like, Okay, this I would send him let's say the piano version. Mm-hmm. And I said, I need this to be clarinet, I need this to be orchestra. Can you can you do it? He's like, sure. And he sent it back a couple hours later. I was like, oh my god, that sounds pretty good. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And so it was really it is the first time I've worked, you know, with a team of people that, you know, that help you Get to the finish line, and I, I really fe- feel like I found it. I got very lucky. um I also got to work with Joy Adams as a cellist for the show, mm-hmm. and she's all over the main theme. And that's a fantastic theme. Thanks, man. Thank you. I, I, I'm glad it, it's. Uh, I was even able, able to talk some of the cast members at the premiere this weekend, and they were like, "It's stuck in my head, man. It stuck in my head." And I was like, "Oh my god, I'm so sorry." <laughs> but I felt very lucky, you know that that we did. We found like what you know some people call the earworm, or mm-hmm. you know the thing that stays there. And um, but Joy, Joy Adams played cello on that, and um, it was so cool, man. She's she's I've known her for a few years at through the University of Miami where I teach at the Frost School of Music, and um, she's moved to Colorado now. Oh, but wow. uh, she was re- recording remotely, uh, sending her cello stuff to me, and and I was recording her and. She's all over the show. So when I say the soul and the essence of the soul of the show, it's like guitar and cello. Mm-hmm. In Oregon, she's, she's the cello. And nice. so it was great. It was great to work with her.
0: Um, so, Carlos, I noticed on your website you had dedicated a song to a drummer and a producer. Um, he's also an actor. Uh, what is his name, and uh, how did he help with uh, Godless.
1: Well, I don't. He's not. A, he's not an actor. I mean, he's a, he's more of a producer. Oh, he played okay. guitar for Dylan for a long time, and he's actually made his name as a producer. And he's produced like some of the most iconic acts and stuff. Uh, his his name is T Bone Burnett, and he's actually scored films for the Coen Brothers, and he scored True Detective, uh, which is for HBO, and and he ended up uh, being executive music producer on this when i found out he was going to be involved i like basically hung up the phone and started ringing around the house and then i picked <laughs> up the phone again and i said sorry i hung up to the director uh, <laughs> but no uh, it's it's he's one of the great ones and he ended up mixing the theme of the show oh, um, okay. that, that you hear yeah so if it sounds good it's because it's him and he ended up writing a lot of the source music for the show like the music that the girls of la belle uh, sing the song, he actually set the lyrics that were originally written in the 1880s. Mm-hmm. And then he added a few more verses. And um, what I, I was able to do, there, these girls, uh, the women of LaBelle have a song they sing towards the beginning of episode 5 or 4. I don't remember which one. And they're um, entertaining the guys that are now in the town, you know.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, it's a fun, fun song. But then I grabbed it and I and I adapted it towards like, uh, you know, after the big battle in episode 7, as, you know, some of the survivors are walking out of the hotel, there's a, uh, I set the song as an elegy. You know? It's same music, same notes, but just this very slow, poignant kind of thing. And, and to get to collaborate with him in, in that way was like a dream come true. You know, I sent it to him. He really dug it. And um, you know, he's one of the people I've always looked up to as a producer. And he's, he's multifaceted as well. And he's done so many things in the music world. Uh, from being with Bill, Dil, Bob Dylan to like producing so many of the great art- artists out there, mm-hmm. and that, um, and scoring films like True Detective for HBO and, and Cohen Brothers films. Yeah, I mean, the dude is is just one of those people that you got to be like, what? So, um, it was a real privilege to work with him in and collaborate with him in this way for for the show. Well, that's fantastic.
0: So, are there any future projects that you're Able to talk about?
1: No. No. Oh, okay. Right now, I'm really just open. I'm glad that this got done, and and I hope it's received well, and I hope uh, the story holds and people are interested. And um, it's a privilege to even get to do this. I I don't have expectations. I'm 47 now, so I'm you know if I was 27, I'd be like, well, I'm sure I'm going to be busy. I don't know, but I don't. <laughs> I'm, I'm grateful. I, I really am grateful doing what I do. I, I yeah. love teaching at, at the Frost School of Music. I I get to work with some of the best students in, in the world, really, some of the best music students there are. And so I'm always learning from them and, and giving back to them the stuff and, and sharing with them all the mistakes I, I'm still making, you know, is is one of the great privileges of my life. So um, if any more work comes and anyone's interested in having me help tell the story, I, I couldn't I couldn't be luckier, you know, to be in that position. So my, mm-hmm. my hope is, of course, to do more because I, I, just love, I loved writing and I loved help tell the story or fulfilling the vision of the director. And uh, it, it was an impossible thing when I was a kid. I never thought I'd ever get to do that. I just That's didn't think it happened. So, yeah. so I'm I'm lucky to even talk to you. Like I said at the beginning, I don't know if you were recording at the time, but I really, I really feel this is one of the great privileges to even share the experience of, of writing godless and or just writing it all for picture
0: yeah and you know one thing that i always appreciate is being able to really uh, talk to a composer about you know just how they do things and you know being able to be open and relaxed because otherwise you can feel like it can be a really tense situation and you're like uh, I can't talk about this, or I can't talk about that, and...
1: and I don't um, know, man. I, I, <laughs> you know, I just, I think it's, <laughs> it's just work, man. It really is. It's a job, and you gotta do it, and you gotta... I, I think people get a lot of, to the fantasy of what it is to write music, or, and... I was the first one. I'm still a fan, man. First and foremost, I listen to the stuff. I, I, I'm try, I'm trying to hear
2: mm-hmm. the
1: Shape of Water by Desplat. I'm dying to hear that score. I've only been hearing good things about it, so I'm like in line. You know what I mean to hear what he does because to me, he's one of the more elegant composers writing today. Yeah, and I, I just I, I consume and I do feel that. But but at the end, of, but when it comes down to it, and I've been doing music for a while, I think it really is just. It is a job, and it, it's sort of like you just, it's a craft you get good at. It's a vocation. And you don't need incense uh, or, you know, special scented candles or curtains to, to be inspired. You know, you yeah. just need to deliver a cue tomorrow that's three and a half minutes long and mm-hmm. go. You know what I mean? There's no, there's no like, oh, well, the muse and, you know, mm-hmm. uh, there's a saying that, you know, I think I, it's attributed to Tchaikovsky. I don't know who had said it, but it's like I'd rather the muse the muse I'd rather the muse catch me while I'm working, you mm-hmm. know? And then than just waiting for the muse to show up and strike. So
0: Yeah. I try to include a little bit of music into like after presenting yeah. the interview.
1: Netflix just put the theme out on YouTube, so oh nice okay. You, uh, you know, I'll send it to you as well, so you can check it out. And I, I'm happy to show that. I mean, if I were to tell people what to listen for, a couple of the cues that I'm very proud of from mm-hmm. Godless are the beginning of episode three. Okay. It's like. Uh, it's a scene in Doubtful Canyon. And man, that was just such a... That stuff was written to the screenplay mm. originally. Mm-hmm. Like the set piece. It changed once we got the assembled picture. But a lot of the elements stayed. And um, it's cool because that one really survived. And uh, But it's a really well-directed scene where it has flashback or somebody's investigating to the past and the present. I, I'm a fan of that scene. So getting to write that um, another thing about that scene, too, is I really worked with sound design with Wiley Stateman, who's one of the great ones, and Eric Kane on that. And they helped a lot in setting the tempo and the pace. And, and there's a really cool scene where a moment where the horse is giving out on Roy Goode's character. Mm-hmm. And he does. He has to do something in order to survive right himself because he's getting chased. And I got the music out of the way of that. And I really collaborated because ultimately you're working with sound to tell the story and its soundscape and create one. Mm hmm. So it was just great, man. I, I, that one's I'm very fan. Obviously, I'm a fan of the closing final shot of the whole show of Episode 7. Okay. I think Episode 7 is, brings so many things home. That, uh, But I could tell you, open, you know, Daffle Canyon for sure is, is a fun cue that I wrote. Um, there's a montage where Roy's thinking about leaving. I think it's in Episode 4 or 5 when okay. he's like really breaking the horses in that you could check out. I hope you like. Um, oh,
0: yeah, I'm sure. I, I really
1: enjoyed it. Some of these were like just gifts to, to write, but it's it's a while back and and um, and there's so much to see. I I we could I'd love to talk to you after you've checked it all out and whatever we can nerd out. It doesn't even have to be an interview. Just call me. Yeah, them, whatever. yeah,
0: definitely, definitely, Carlos. It's been a real yeah. pleasure to be able to interview you today. It was just really exciting to be able to watch the first episode of uh, Godless and be able to know. Oh, I get to talk to this composer today
1: <laughs> I know, it's so surreal man yeah that is so surreal I, i'm grateful to have the time it, i mean not that i have the time that you gave me the time so um i really do hope you get to watch the entire show i hope you enjoy it and i hope whoever's listening does too and uh hit me up man you can i have no followers on twitter because i don't know what i'm doing oh, okay. so you what can is... follow me on twitter on composer 313 okay and anybody has any questions about the score just you know, reach out. I'm, I'd love to talk about it. It'd be a privilege.
0: All right. Well, thanks so much again. I will definitely direct as many people to the show Godless to really check it out because it's a really brilliant uh, piece of production and the music is fantastic. I gotta tell you that right now because I mean it's just it's really well done, and uh, I appreciate it. So
1: I appreciate you. Thank you so much for doing this.
0: <laughs> You're welcome. So with talking with Carlos, he opened me up to listening to A Walk Among the Tombstones. So today, I'll present a short suite for you with the main title, Among the Tombstones, and Aftermath and Reprise. These cues really highlight the guitar work that Carlos is able to do. I really appreciate the cello work also. And so now, I'll play those cues. We've come down to another end of Soundtrack Alley today. I'd like to thank Alexander Shebel for his excellent composing for my intro today. You can find his work at xanderscores.com. Xander is with an x. You can find me at soundtrackalley.net, soundtrackalley.podbean.com, on Twitter at randallandrews one Facebook, Instagram, and you can email me at, at yahoo.com. So to close out the show today, I've got the amazing intro to Godless, which had premiered back on November twenty-second, 2017. I would like to thank Carlos Rafael Rivera again for the excellent interview, and until next time, happy listening. Thank you for listening to Soundtrack Alley, the podcast. I hope you take the time to review my podcast on iTunes or even listen to it on Podbean. With your review, it helps me get noticed on iTunes. Thank you so much. Have a good day. Thank you for listening to Soundtrack Alley Spotlight. If you are on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review the show. Also, if you want to leave a comment, question, or concern, please email me at soundtrackalley at gmail.com and enjoy looking at my blog at soundtrackalley.com.